Today's episode is brought to you by Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. It's time to get energized. So we had a forecast of a big windstorm that was coming through, something that was like, didn't ever happen, like wasn't a common occurrence. It was scheduled to start on on Labor Day. That's Kate Andrews. She lives in Portland, Oregon. My friends and I joked that like, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. They're forecasting this crazy storm, but it's going to be totally fine. And it was not fine. It ripped through town. It carried flames and because it was so dry already because we hadn't had rain in I don't know how many days it was I think the major fire starter it was what kicked everything off last week wildfires in Oregon went from bad to really bad when a fire burns more than 100,000 acres it gets labeled a mega fire Oregon has seen five of those this month. For a little perspective, Oregon had six megafires over the entire 20th century. So this is pretty unprecedented. Anyway, the wind Andrews was talking about not only caused fires to spread rapidly, wiping out towns and forcing thousands of people to flee their homes, but last week it started pushing tons of smoke right into cities like Portland. Wednesday, we woke up and it was It was apocalyptic. For a few days this week and over the weekend, Portland, Oregon had the worst air quality of any city in the world. My husband and I both had raging headaches all day long. We've woken up in the middle of the night and like just been coughing and not been able to breathe. And that's here in Portland where we're not even close to the fires. Welcome to Skim This. This week, we're gonna try and clear the air on what's going on with the wildfires on the West Coast and what can be done to stop each fire season from being worse than the one before. We'll also talk to a lung expert about the health risks of breathing in all this smoke, which even if you're on the East Coast or even Europe, is causing hazy skies and some pretty dramatic sunsets. A little later in the show, we'll check in on how the NFL pulled off its big return to the field and why airlines are suddenly rushing to create flights to nowhere? But before we talk about any of that, we need to start with a quick update on TikTok, the Bachelor edition. The Chinese-owned social platform is desperately looking for a match before Sunday, and it's sure to be the most dramatic season ever. TikTok. A few weeks ago, we told you how the app that's become your quarantine best friend has also been at the center of a national security debate. That's because, despite reportedly having 100 million users in the United States, TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. And as a reminder, the US already has beef with China because of some high-profile hacking cases, in which the US claims the Chinese government stole American citizens' private data. So national security experts and lawmakers feared China would do that with TikTok too, and said, maybe try your dance moves in the mirror rather than download this app. While TikTok has denied providing the Chinese government with user data, President Trump still threatened to ban the app altogether. So there's been some trouble in paradise. In early August, Trump issued an executive order that said TikTok needed to find a buyer for its US-based operations within 90 days or get banned from operating in the country. 
cue, companies vying for that first impression rose from TikTok. Some of the contestants, Walmart, Oracle, and Microsoft. As the clock ticked on the president's executive order, ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, had to move fast to find a match. And it turns out, spoilers throughout the season haven't always been right. First, everyone thought Microsoft was the obvious frontrunner. Then, earlier this week, the resident Dark Horse contestant, Oracle, a major business software firm in the U.S., took the lead. That's not what most people had in their brackets. And just like every recent Bachelor finale, it's not that straightforward. The most shocking finale in Bachelor history. It is up to the president to make a decision as to whether or not it is sufficient. And the deal everyone was talking about is the one with Oracle. For several days this week, it looked like things might work out and that Oracle, together with Walmart, might be able to buy majority ownership in TikTok, something Trump wanted. TikTok also tried to sweeten the deal by offering to move their HQ to the United States and add 20,000 jobs. But the behind-the-scenes drama over this deal never let up. Some Republicans in Washington urged the president to swipe left. They feared the Chinese government still might be able to access American user data. TikTok's U.S. operations are completely separated from its Chinese parent company. And on Friday morning, we finally got the plot twist we expected all week, when the Trump administration announced that new downloads of TikTok and the Chinese-owned messaging app WeChat will be banned from your app store starting on Sunday. It said it's still worried TikTok could be sharing American user data with Chinese intelligence agencies. That said, TikTok is still holding out for its match because they have until November 12th to make a deal that satisfies Trump's national security concerns before being totally banned in the US. So that partnership with Oracle could be back on the table with some adjustments. Oh, and if you already have TikTok on your phone, you'll still be able to use it. So grab some popcorn because this story could have a surprise ending. These days, we're all spending a lot of time in the same routines, and it's easy to get stuck in a rut. The solution? Refresh and energize with Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. It comes in a package that's easy to pop in your bag or keep in the car, whether you need fresh breath behind your mask or a way to keep things fresh while you work from home. Mentos Pure Fresh Gum has you covered. Get a burst of freshness with Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. Go to mentos.com to find your perfect piece today. So a lot of people who aren't experts on wildfires have been talking about wildfires a lot lately, partially because the scale of this year's wildfires has kind of made them a national issue. Fighting them will likely cost billions of dollars and it's stretching resources thin. On Monday, President Trump visited California to talk to state officials about what was going on, and he criticized California for not taking forest management seriously, meaning cleaning up branches and overgrown vegetation to reduce the risk of fires. But forest management isn't the only angle some politicians want to bring up. Here was a soundbite you might have heard this week between one of California's top natural resources officials and President Trump. One area of mutual agreement and priority is vegetation management. But I think we want to work with you to really recognize the changing climate and what it means to our forests. Because if we 
if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> we'll talk about climate change in a minute. But first, instead of letting politicians talk about fire science, we wanted to talk to somebody who really knows her stuff. My name is Dr. Lori Daniels. I am a professor of forest ecology at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. In case you need more proof, Daniels' Twitter photo is her standing right in front of a wildfire and holding something called a drip torch to light vegetation on fire. Hardcore. But anyway, we wanted to know what factors make wildfires particularly bad and what could be done to try and keep this under control now and in the future. Daniel started off by talking about something called the Fire Behavior Triangle. It contains the three factors fire experts watch to figure out how bad a wildfire is going to be. And those three things are topography, weather, and fuel. We're not gonna nerd out for too long, but we will for just a minute. First up, topography. Basically, the shape of land and whether it's flat or sloped. Long story short, Compared to a flat forest, forests on the side of a mountain can burn faster, since fires lower on the slope preheat what's above them, making those trees easier to burn. The next factor in the fire behavior triangle is weather, which has been in the news lately. We do begin with breaking news, record heat, rolling blackouts. California, Nevada, Arizona, and Colorado are all in the middle of a historic heat wave. California is experiencing record-shattering heat, so oppressive, officials warn it could be deadly. No surprise here. Daniels thinks this extreme weather is pretty relevant to the fires we've been seeing. So it's really warm and dry. It's the perfect conditions if an ignition were to occur for fire to be able to be sustained and to begin to spread. And this perfect weather for fires to form kind of feeds into the final element of the fire behavior triangle, fuel. Basically, what gets burned. And in the fires this year, there's a lot of fuel going up in flames. Just to zoom out for a second, Daniels has spent years studying historical forest fires combining Western science with how the indigenous people of what's now Western Canada interacted with the land. And she says fires are natural. We know that these ecosystems are actually highly adapted to fire. In Southern California, the chaparral and the shrubs regenerate by sprouting after fire. It's an adaptation to fire. We see that in the Northern conifer forests, the pines and the, and the firs and the spruces are also adapted to fire. In some cases, their seeds are stimulated by fire to open so that they can regenerate. Daniel says the indigenous people of North America used fires as a tool. And instead of protecting forests from fires, they'd let fires burn. So there was less fuel sitting around during hot and dry summers. Through European settlement and colonization, we eliminated that indigenous cultural use of fire on the landscape. And that is also combined with our very successful fire suppression, thinking we were protecting the forest. It's a major contributing factor to these mega fires. After decades of racing to put out fires, Daniel says there's now a lot of vegetation piled up in forests across the West. Add climate change into the mix, which science shows is leading to warmer weather and prolonged drought out West, and the situation gets even more problematic. Some trees, she says, 
are literally dying because of a lack of water. Others become easy prey for bark beetles, tiny little insects that drill into trees and often kill them, which adds even more fuel into the forest landscape. So that's the problem right now, the conditions that have allowed more normal forest fires to become megafires. And with people commonly building homes closer to the edge of forests or even inside of them, there's even more property and human lives at risk with each passing fire season. So what should be done? Daniel says there's a role for everyone here. People that live near forests at risk of fires should look up a program called FireWise. It's like a checklist for how to reduce your fire risk and we've left a link to it in our show notes. Some super quick tips include moving wood piles away from your house and as unsexy as it is, cleaning your gutters. Many of the fires that burn in these forest fires, it's actually a burning firebrand or an amber that has been blown off of the fire, transported in the wind and lands on homes and in neighborhoods. And when it lands on the roof of a house where there is burnable debris in the gutters and that fire gets started, once the roof of your house is on fire, it's very difficult to stop that fire. Then there's what government can do. President Trump has been telling states they need to rake their forests to get flammable debris out of there. Officials in California have responded by pointing out that 57% of the state's forests are actually owned by the federal government. Basically, you want to rake? Have at it. Forest scientists like Lori Daniels say raking and other types of forest management are part of what needs to be done. When the forest floor is clear, fires on the ground don't grow as large and don't burn down entire trees. So this kind of proactive forest management is part of the solution. But it's also expensive and takes a lot of people to pull off. So Daniels recommends starting this work near where people live. But long term, Daniels thinks we should dust off one practice that really used to work before we got so good at putting out fires right away. Controlled burns, as in using fire as a way to fight fire. People have been resistant to having trees cut around them or having a prescribed burn around them. And yet, as more and more people experience or witness these mega fires and realize the short-term cost of cutting some trees and the short-term cost of a prescribed fire under controlled conditions when you can be warned there will be smoke and where we can ensure that it's going to have minimum impacts on the environment are much better than risking a mega fire. We got ourselves into this mess. I'm pretty sure we can get ourselves out as well. So that's how fires start and how we might be able to stop them from being so damaging in the future. But in the meantime, we've got a problem on our hands. Last Wednesday is when sort of the light started changing. And I remember thinking, oh, this is what, thinking back a few years ago to the solar eclipse that happened. It's like, oh, it feels like we're in eclipse light now. Like it's that kind of surreal feeling light. That's Haverty Brown. She's a teacher in Portland. Her first day of school was supposed to happen last week, but when school buildings filled with smoke and many students were impacted by evacuation orders, classes were delayed. It just felt like transported straight to winter as well because of the quality of the light. It just didn't ever get sunny um, and it never got bright. That's a pretty bleak sight. But for people like Brown, what was for a day a crazy thing to see way up in the sky came down to earth. 
Wednesday night and then Thursday the smoke came in and it just like I didn't go outside after Thursday except to run to my car to then run to the grocery store. I think just in terms of the ever-present smell and waking up with a headache, it's really stayed the same. If anything, it's gotten worse. Across town, Haverty says her dad is a data guy. He's got two air quality sensors at his house, inside and outside. But even with fancy air filters and great insulation, his indoor air quality is still considered unhealthy. So then I think about my older home that is super leaky and wondering, you know, I'm smelling smoke inside. (laughs) I don't even want to know what the air quality is inside. And this is another part of the story that we want to dive into. How these fires are impacting air quality and more significantly, health. Monday, beginning of the week, and again, hazardous air quality due to the smoke in the air. Air quality across most of the state of Oregon ranges from unhealthy to hazardous. A public safety alert issued for the area. This means that you should stay inside. We will see dense smoke at times and unhealthy to hazardous air. What's being called some of the worst air in the world, combined with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, is causing officials and health experts to recommend that people stay indoors. Sound familiar? So let's break down how dangerous this really is. Well, uh, wildfire smoke contains fine particulate. These particles can make it down into the deep lung where they can cause injury and inflammation. That's Dr. John Balms. He's a pulmonary expert and a professor at the University of California, San Francisco. He's also been breathing in some pretty nasty air in the Bay Area lately. And he says, you can think about the fine particulates as tobacco smoke, just without nicotine. You know, when you smoke a cigarette, you take a break before you smoke the next one. And, you know, depending on how many cigarettes you smoke, there's more health risk. With wildfire smoke, if you're outdoors, like a farm worker or a construction worker, you could be breathing the bad air for, you know, a long time, days at a time. This smoke can explain the headaches a lot of people like Kate Andrews and Haverty Brown have been having in places like Portland. But there's more. According to the U.S. Forest Service, these fine particles can cause a burning sensation in your eyes, difficulty breathing, and are even linked to premature death. People with heart and lung conditions who are pregnant or over the age of 65 are at an even greater risk. So are young children whose lungs are still developing. And Dr. Baum says that there's evidence that, over time, air pollution of the sort caused by wildfires, just like cigarettes, could affect the cognitive development of kids. That means health could be a major long-term concern if climate change is left unchecked or if forests aren't managed and we keep seeing megafires like we've seen this year. But if you're stuck in a high-risk area now, there are some immediate steps you can take to lower your health risks. So first off, reducing exposure to wildfire smoke is the most important thing to do with regard to reducing your risk of health outcomes. So staying indoors with the windows shut. If you have central ventilation uh, in your home, turn that to recirculation. It's great if you could put in a MERV, M-E-R-V 13 filter, that will filter out the smoke particles. If you can't do that, you can buy a portable HEPA air purifier and that will clean a room. In addition to avoiding outdoor air pollution, you should also reduce sources of indoor pollution as well, like using gas stoves, aerosol products, and burning candles. Even vacuuming can increase particulate levels when wildfire smoke is present. 
So maybe hit pause on that household chore. I'm sure your dog will appreciate that one. There are also a few apps you can download to stay up to date on the air quality in your area. Try searching your phone's app store for air quality. So what can people do to protect themselves? Well, if you think back to March this year, you might remember hearing that Facebook, Apple, and other Bay Area companies gave away millions of N95 masks to state emergency officials and public hospitals. That was because hospitals dealing with COVID outbreaks didn't have enough protective gear to go around. So medical workers were given priority for things like N95 masks. But those Bay Area companies only keep a supply of masks because wildfire season often means smoky skies overhead. And even in cities which get seasonal streams of toxic air, not everyone has an N95 already. Over this past weekend, we were able to distribute 11,000 masks. That's Adama Izwebunam, a volunteer with Mask Oakland. It's a local nonprofit that collects and gives out N95s to more vulnerable residents in the Oakland area. She says that while the smoke is a danger to everyone, it's especially dangerous for Oakland's homeless population, which grew by 47% between 2017 and 2019. It's obviously impacting unhoused folks that much more. It's important to realize that what we're seeing and what we're smelling aren't exactly the best indicators for the invisible toxic particles um, that bypass through our body's defenses and penetrate our lungs. Also, we wanted to note that while health officials say that cloth masks are helpful to wear when it comes to preventing you from spreading COVID-19 if you're infected. They do nothing, and I repeat, nothing to protect against wildfire smoke because the weave, the holes in the weave are too big to trap the fine particles. Basically, if it's smoky where you are and you have to head out somewhere, make sure your mask is one that filters out smoke properly. So what's the skim? Smoke from the wildfires have now spread across the U.S. to as far as the Netherlands. And with the ongoing pandemic combined with hazardous air quality levels along the West Coast, hospitals continue to be strained. They're reportedly having to move patients, delay procedures, or even close their doors because smoke is actually getting inside their buildings. Not to mention, smoke exposure and COVID-19 share some of the same symptoms, like difficulty breathing, dry coughs, and a sore throat. Officials are urging people to stay indoors, shut their windows, and if you're part of a high-risk group, to be even more cautious. Dr. Baum says things like climate change mitigation and better forest management need more serious attention. But even still, it would take years to really turn things around. Until then, severe wildfires like the ones we're seeing now might be the new normal that no one wants to get used to. Remember that day this spring when Tom Hanks said he got COVID? For a lot of us, that was when this pandemic suddenly became real. It was also the same day live sports in the U.S. kind of came to an end, too. Two basketball teams, the Utah Jazz and Oklahoma City Thunder, were about to hit the court when the game was abruptly called off after a player tested positive. And fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. Pretty quickly after that, all sports shut down. And for a while, live streams of Fortnite, or televised marble races on YouTube, were the only live entertainment in town. But since then, things have ever so slowly been coming back to normal. 
Some leagues, like the NBA, put all their teams in a bubble in one city, while others, like baseball and golf, have just been taking place without fans. But now, the biggest pro sports league in the US, the National Football League, is back too. And it's ready to take over your Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, and some Saturdays. For some of us, the return of live sports is a relief. But with COVID-19 cases still increasing in at least 24 states, we wondered if getting back to normal was really the right message to be sending. I would say that it doesn't send the wrong message. That's Nicole Fisher. She runs a health and human rights firm in Washington, D.C., and made a name for herself in the sports world by hosting brain science conferences in the Super Bowl host city each year to talk about issues like concussions. But to be clear, she's not a hater. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of sport. In fact, it's, I would argue, why I care so deeply about making it safe. At the NFL kickoff game last week in Kansas City, more than 15,000 fans attended in person. But pods of people were spaced out and everyone had to wear a mask. One head coach even wore a plastic face shield that kept bogging up. At last night's game in Cleveland, the stands were 10% full. And in Buffalo, Indianapolis, and Dallas, fans might get let in this week too. But people aren't being crammed into stadiums like sardines. And between mostly empty stands or political protests by players, it's easy to see reminders that this ain't normal. Visually, we're seeing whether it's the social justice movements, you know, things written on jerseys, or it's the mask wearing. What we're seeing is a pivot that is normal, but not normal. And it's showing you that, you know, the power that athletes have is much greater than just sport. I mean, they're sending a very powerful public health message. We should point out this NFL reopening plan was approved by football players and their union. And the league let players sit out the season for health reasons and borrow some money from their future salaries if they wanted to. Fisher says that was a good reminder that athletes are people, not just entertainment. She just wishes that those same powers were given to college athletes, who are blocked from making money even though colleges make money off of them, and who can't access things like workers' compensation insurance despite putting their bodies on the line. This pandemic, I think, has really brought light to any and all arguments about what a quote-unquote student athlete is. There are the students who were brought on campus and then sent home, but the athletes were kept. The universities have drawn a distinction that they've long argued doesn't exist. So it's been so far sort of good for the NFL regarding COVID-19. Only one player tested positive from the most recent testing period. But college football is another story. Several conferences have postponed their seasons entirely. And a number of games this weekend have been called off because of COVID concerns. While elsewhere, infections aren't slowing down the rush to get back on the field. The head coach of LSU's football team announced this week that most of his players had caught COVID-19, but that it's full steam ahead and, quote, hopefully they're not out for games. We'll find out a week from Saturday when LSU faces Mississippi State. In the meantime, for a model of responsible competition, you might want to wait to tune in on Sunday. Before we go, we want to talk about things we miss doing like going to a concert, going to a crowded bar, or even going through airport security? 
While travel usually means a well-earned vacation or some quality time with your fam, a few airlines are wondering, maybe you just missed being on a plane. Some airlines, hoping to get an economic boost after months of travel restrictions and skeptical travelers, are now selling seats on flights to nowhere. As in, planes that take off and land in the same place. Singapore Airlines is reportedly looking to launch one of these flights to nowhere next month, and they're hoping that residents unable to travel since March will be desperate to go somewhere, anywhere, as a temporary cure for their travel bug, even if that place is just seat 24A. Benefits could include everything from premium lounge access, mask only, of course, to your favorite airplane meal, or even a package deal with a local hotel, kind of like a staycation that you kick off with your flight. And Singapore Air isn't the only one with this idea. A Taiwanese airline has already started flying scenic tours around a remote island. And an airline in Brunei has been hosting dine and fly events, which include a guided tour of the coast and brunch. P.S. It's sold out almost immediately. So if this sounds like just your thing, it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the soothing sounds of an airplane cabin as you fly in circles. Please ensure that your seatbelt is firmly fastened. Your seat is in the upright position and your tray table has been secured. For the rest of us, we'll wait for actual traveling. Here's looking at you, 2021. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by Alex Carr, Marion Lozano, and Luke Vargas, with additional help from Peter Bonaventure and Kira Long. And I'm your host, Justine Davey. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com. 